Good morning, church. Excuse the little this conference over there. Uh, Holy Spirit threw a, a change at the last minute, and uh, I needed to communicate that. I apologize. There are no. Uh, thank you. I apologize. There are no sermon notes this morning. To make a long story short, short, my computer developed issues, and I wasn't able to finish the notes for the bulletin. But rest assured, I do have my notes. So we're okay there. Um, and I'm also, like Sam, grateful only to be teaching on the first 30 verses of Matthew 26. It is a large chapter, and it is so rich and contains so many wonderful insights. I don't know how I could do the whole chapter justice. I'm not even sure I can do the first 30 verses justice. But we will trust the Holy Spirit this morning to bring forth that which he wants to tell us. And, uh, and it'll be good. Let's pray. Father, this morning we come to you with praise in our hearts. What a joy, Father, to be here in your presence at your invitation. We take joy in this day, Father, to sit at your feet and to receive from you and to give back unto you our love, which you so richly deserve. Open our hearts and our ears, Lord. We choose to humble ourselves now and hear and receive that which your Holy Spirit has for us from your word. We give you praise, honor, and glory for what you will accomplish in our lives today, transforming that which needs to be transformed. In Jesus' name, amen. As an ambassador of God, and I have an issue, sorry, just a second. There we go. As an ambassador of God, <clears throat> I bring you greetings from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. They want you to know how incredibly much they love you. And they have dispatched the Holy Spirit to work in you and for you. These are trying times in our land and in the world. But God's will for you is for welfare, not calamity. It is to give you a future and a hope, a living hope and a glorious future. And that's what he wants you to know today. And lesson, Kathy, I don't want to point you out, or, but I want you to know God is very pleased with your obedience throughout the years. Very pleased. We're looking at Matthew 26 this morning, and it's already been read, but we're going to kind of break it down, not quite verse by verse, but section by section. And the first section that Matthew opens in verse 26 is the plot to kill Jesus. At least it's the first part of the plot to kill Jesus. He then interrupts it, talking about the anointing at Bethany, and then he goes back into the plot to kill Jesus. So starting in verse 1, now it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings that he said to his disciples, you know after two days is the Passover and the Son of Man will be delivered to be crucified. You know, Matthew under the anointing of the Holy Spirit used that phrase, finish these sayings or finish these words, depending on your translation, several times before. In Matthew 7, 28, Matthew 11, 1, Matthew 13, 53, and Matthew 19, 1. But here in Matthew 26, he adds another word, the word all. 
Jesus finished all these sayings. After Jesus completed his Olivet Discourse, he's finished speaking to Israel. During the next seven chapters of Matthew, he speaks very little to Israel or very little about Israel. When God stops speaking to his people, that's not a good thing. It's a sign that judgment is coming. Jesus spoke very clearly to Israel. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man will come unto the Father except through Jesus. And he confirmed his words by signs, wonders, and miracles. Probably the most powerful being his resurrection from the dead. In God's incredible mercy, his judgment came upon Jesus instead upon Israel and you and I. Now Israel and the rest of mankind is judged guilty of sinning against God unless we turn to Jesus Christ and accept his gift of salvation. In verse 1 we read, After two days, Jesus was saying, On the third day, I will be sacrificed. The true Lamb of God will be slaughtered. And on the third day after his death, he will rise. Going on then in verse 3, Then the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders of the people assembled at the palace of the high priest who is called Caiaphas, and plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. But Judas comes to them and says, what will you give me if I turn Jesus over to you? And this changed the, plan, the plot altogether. Because Jesus, or Judas gives them the opportunity to attack Jesus at night when most of the people would be sleeping. And it would be all over before they could riot. And then Matthew interrupts the plot against Jesus to talk about the anointing at Bethany. Starting in verse 6, And when Jesus was in Bethany, the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil, And she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. But when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, Why do you trouble this woman? For she has done a good work for me, or a good deed for me. For you have the poor with you always. But me, you do not have always. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. If you think about it here in Matthew 26, uh, the Holy Spirit compares Judas to this woman. 
Judas values Jesus at 30 shekels of silver. This woman, that uh, alabaster flask, it cost her probably a year's worth of wages, the ointment in it. She spent a year's wages honoring Jesus, preparing him for death, while Jesus accepts 30 pieces of silver to hand Jesus over. And while not like Jesus, Judas, the other disciples will forsake Jesus as well. Not the same way, but they will abandon him in his really his greatest hour of need. You see, the issue is that following Jesus, being a disciple, taking up our cross and following him to his death and grave requires a re-evaluation of our values. Judas is the negative example. But the disciples are only lesser versions of Judas' system of values. And what is our system of value today? How much do we value Jesus and what he's done for us, what he continues to do for us? How important is Jesus' Jesus' mission to forward the kingdom of God? How important, how do we value that in our our, uh, way of valuing things? I think a lot of times I need to reevaluate how I value things how I value Jesus, his mission, and what he's done for me. This woman values heavenly treasures. Jesus is worth all she has. And Jesus commends the woman because she understands that Jesus is beyond price and deserves everything we have. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Now, Matthew goes back into the plot to uh, betray Jesus. Verse 14. Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they count out to him 30 pieces of silver. So from that time, he sought opportunity to betray Jesus. Now, if we were to look in Exodus chapter 21, verse 28 and following, we would read this. When an ox scores a man or a woman to death, the ox shall be stoned, and the flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall not be liable. But if the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past, and its owner has been warned but has not kept it in, and it kills a man or woman, the ox shall be stoned, and the owner also shall be put to death. If a ransom is imposed on him, okay, so if instead of being put to death, a ransom is imposed upon him, then he shall give for the redemption of his life whatever it is that is imposed on him. If, he gores a man, if it gores a man's son or daughter, he shall be dealt with according to the same rule. If the ox gores a slave, male or female, the owner shall give their master 30 shekels of silver and the ox shall be stoned. If the person who is gored is a slave, 
the owner pays the slave's owner 30 shekels of silver. This is how Judas valued Jesus. The woman who anointed Jesus spent a year's wages honoring Jesus, while Judas accepts the slave's ransom for the Son of God. And then we come to the Passover. Now the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, disciples came to Jesus saying to him, Where do you want us to prepare for? For you, what? Yeah, where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? You know, ancient yeast is not like the yeast we bake with today. They would take a piece of the of the dough that they were making the loaf with, and they would set it aside. And then tomorrow, when they made the next loaf, they would take that dough that was set aside and add it to the mixture of the new dough as leaven. And they would continue to do this day after day, month after month, until the Passover of unleavened bread. During the Passover of unleavened bread, they were not to eat any leaven at all, so they would take that lump that they would put into the dough, and they would throw it away. And they would take any leaven they had in their house, and they would throw it away. And for that week, they would not eat any leavened bread. It would all be unleavened. So now they, what do they do after that week, well, they take a piece of, bro- of dough, they make a piece of dough, and they set it out to collect yeast spores from the air. And then when they make that first loaf of bread, they add that piece of dough to the, to the dough they're making the bread out of. And then they take a piece of that and set it aside for leaven for tomorrow's bread, and they make the bread for today. The Feast of Unleavened Bread marked a new beginning for Israel. When they left Egypt, they were supposed to leave Egypt behind. The same is true of you and me when we are born again. We are to leave the old creature behind and become a new creature in Christ. Therefore, Paul says to purge the old leaven in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 and 8. Purge the old leaven, the old na- nature, And keep the feast instead with unleavened bread. That would be the new nature. Going on in verse 18. And he said to them, Go to the city of a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. Now as they were eating, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. Each of them began to say to him, Lord, is it I? He answered and said, He who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. The Son of Man indeed goes, just as it is written of him. But woe! To that man by whom the son is betrayed, it would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? And he said to him, You have said it. Judas, the rest of the the twelve, and ourselves, if we are honest, 
are going to betray Jesus at one level or another. Have you ever had the urging to witness to somebody, but you were afraid? Or have you ever had the urge to pray for somebody, but you were afraid, what if nothing happened? At some point, even with sin, have you been tempted and failed to recognize the new man instead of the old man? And failed? Just like Judas, to an extent, just like the disciples that would all desert him, except for one, actually, who stayed at the cross with Mary. We all failed Jesus at some point or another. We, like they, need to take up our cross. We need to purge the old leaven. We need to purge the old nature and receive the new nature. Allow me to assure you, we can't do these things through our own power. If we could, I don't think we would need Jesus. If I could live a sinless life by myself, under my own power, with my own effort, I wouldn't need Jesus. But the, track, the fact is that in our fallen nature, our old nature, none of us can live a righteous life. None of us can attain the, uh, the will of God. We all fall short of the glory of God. And while we can't do this through our own power, it does require action on our part. In our heart, we need to believe that our old nature died with Jesus. And that's a hard thing to do sometimes because we're so used to the old nature. We also, though, need to believe in our heart that we are new new, have a new nature. We are new creatures raised with Christ into newness of life. All things have Uh, become new. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And I wish, and most of the Western society wishes that that just came on a silver platter like so much else does. But it doesn't. Every time we are tempted to, to fail Jesus, we need to remember that is no longer our nature. We need to remember that we are new creatures. All things have become new. And it is as foreign to my new nature to sin as it is to my old nature to obey Jesus. And that takes effort. It takes constant constant practice. But you know the good news? The more we practice that, the more we become that. And the easier it becomes to live in our new nature and really, when you think about it, what did Christ say? The old nature died with him in the, on the cross. It was crucified on the cross. It should no longer have reign over our lives. But Jesus, or I'm sorry, but Satan is a great liar. He's going to tell you nothing changed. He's going to tell you you're still the same old poor person, sinner you were before, Jesus, before you received Jesus as you are after Satan has never told the whole truth. He always mixes truth with error. But the word of God tells us 
that we are new creatures raised with Christ in newness of life. And so the battle of the mind becomes, do we choose to believe who we are and allow the faith to make that a reality in our lives? Or do we choose just to go status quo and believe nothing changed, even though it did? It does take some effort on our part, but it's not through our doing. God sent the Holy Spirit to help us, to empower us, to encourage us, to make the word of God alive alive to us. And this what uh, that's what Paul meant when he said we are transformed from glory to glory. We become less like that old nature and we become more like Jesus, the new nature. Going on, the first time Jesus mentions the cross is in Matthew chapter 10. He says nothing about his own death then. He describes the disciples suffering in opposition as the cross. And isn't that our cross today? The suffering and opposition that might come our way if we choose to live as Jesus did? In verse 38 of the same chapter, he says that only those disciples that are willing to take up the cross and follow him are worthy of him. And Jesus repeats this in Matthew 16, 24. It isn't until Matthew chapter 20, verse 18 and 19, that Jesus predicts his own crucifixion for the first time. You know, the Romans, they knew how to squelch uprisings. They would not only kill the leaders of the uprising, they would kill as many followers of the uprising as they could. For the disciples not to desert Jesus, not to run away in the night, very well could have meant they would have joined him on that Golgotha hill on a cross. And then Matthew moves into the Lord's Supper. How interesting that, that he, he talks about the cross and our part in bearing our own cross just before he moves in to talking about the Lord's Supper. Verse 26. As they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until the day that I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. During the Passover meal, Jesus introduces a new Passover that reflects a new covenant that will be made between God and man, a covenant made in Jesus' very own blood. The blood of bulls and goats was a temporary appeasement of God's wrath. 
until the final ultimate blood covenant would be made by Jesus himself. So Jesus took bread, blessed it, and gave it to his disciples and said, This is my body. In John chapter 2, verse 19, we read, Jesus says, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Primarily, he was talking about his own body. Destroy, kill this body, and in three days I will raise it up. But you know, that's not the only temple that existed. His disciples were, in a sense, a temple, part of his body. And it would also be scattered. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27, Paul says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 10, he says in verse 16, The cup of blessing that we bless is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. So we see that Jesus' body is his church, his saints, and how we treat one another greatly bears on the blessings that we will receive in this life. Later, he says, because we do not discern the body, some are sick and others have even died. I'd like to pause my sermon here. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. When we're done, we're going to, we'll come back and I'll close the sermon and then we'll go into worship. And I apologize on our clicker. I've made this very difficult for him because he has to switch between PowerPoints. Sorry about that. But guess what? So do I. Just a second here. All right. From 1 Corinthians chapter 11, chapter 11 verses 23 through 31. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judge ourselves, truly we would not be judged. Father, we thank you for this bread and this fruit of the vine. 
And as we partake of these elements, we do so in remembrance of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May they be for us the body and the blood of Jesus. For our guests, we practice open communion. That means if you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and if you're not holding anything against any of your brothers or sisters, then we welcome you to join us this morning. And so, having finished the Passover, Passover feast, they conclude with a hymn. Verse 30, and they sung a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. You know, Jesus knew what was coming. But Jesus sang because he trusts his Father. Jesus sings because of the joy set before him, looking past the cross to the reward on the other side of the cross. Jesus knows what awaits, <coughs> excuse me, but the joy of the Lord is his strength. When he was on the cross, I really believe you and I were on his mind. He saw our deliverance along with all of the other saints and bore our humiliation, the crucifixion we should have endured because he knew the reward. You know, you are so valuable to God that he sent his only begotten son to take your place to take God's wrath upon himself in your place so that your relationship with your heavenly father could be restored to what it was before Adam's sin. That's how valuable he sees you. I often wonder in the parable of the uh, lost pearl, who is the pearl of great price? Obviously Jesus, but isn't it also you and I? So precious that Jesus gave all he had. He gave up heaven to come to earth. He bore the shame that we should have borne. He bore God's wrath that we should have borne. because you are the pearl of great price. And what about us? Do we press on to the high calling of Christ, bearing our cross for the rewards it will bring? This is how the old nature dies. It must be crucified with Christ so that the new nature may arise with Christ. I wrote my notes as a daily challenge, but for me it's pretty much a minute, a challenge minute by minute. However, this is not a reason to be depressed, resigned, feel old. I'm sorry, I, forgot, I missed a part. As I mature, grow gray, and tend to bald, I don't like some of these changes. I don't like the challenges that age, in the older age that I'm encountering. 
However, this is not a reason to be depressed, resigned, feel old. It is by our loving, very real relationship with God through the Holy Spirit that we find joy, empowerment, energy, and the compassion to live for Christ by living as Christ did. And if this seems overwhelming, as overwhelming to you as it sometimes does to me, remember, God has promised to never stop loving you. Never give up on you. He will never forsake you. I know a soldier, he's responsible for the death of thousands of the enemy. He feels like he is murdered in his terms, although that's not how God necessarily defines murder. But he feels like he has killed so many people that there is no way God would ever forgive him. But he doesn't know how much God loves him. That's the problem. God will forgive him if he just humbles himself and turns to him. Accepts Jesus as his savior and receives the forgiveness of his sins. God, our Father, he is faithful. He who began a good work in us to finish it until the day that Jesus Christ returns. And regardless of the, fate, of the challenges we face, the crosses we are called to bear, whether health or wealth or lack of both, whatever, sing for joy, because you can trust God in all things. I'm sorry, worship team, come. He has you not only in the palm of his hand, but he has you in his heart. You, each and every one of you, are his. He created you for his pleasure. He created you to have a personal relationship with him. He created you that you would do works that Jesus did in greater works to bring glory to the Father. He created you because he wanted you to be part of his family. He wanted to adopt us into his family. And so in these challenging times, I encourage you, press on to the high calling of Christ. He has us in the palm of his hand and in his heart.